welcome everyone today. What a glorious time of worship we had together, and now it's going to be a time of sharing in the Word together. I'd like to actually ask you just to turn to Isaiah 60, verse 1 to 3. While you're turning there, I'll just share with you what I've titled this sermon is Arise and Shine. It had nothing to do with ESCOM's latest antics. <laughs> All right. However, it is still a timely word. And uh, while you're turning there, I just want to share with you, last week, John shared a fantastic word, anointed to bring change. And this word is complementary to that. In fact, at the time that he shared, I'd already done the majority of my preparation for what I'm sharing with you today. And there is some overlap. And I went to the Lord about that, and I really felt him lay upon my heart that if he confirms something, it's because he's putting emphasis on it. And so if there's anything in this word that correlates to John, I wasn't doing crib notes, all right? I got some insights that uh, I really felt to share with you in conjunction with what John shared. So please do yourself a favor. If you have not listened to that message, go and listen to Anointed to Bring Change. That having been said, let's read Isaiah 60 verse 1 to 3 together. Arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people. But the Lord will arise over you, and his glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. It's a beautiful piece of scripture. But it is a description of a world in darkness and people in darkness. The first darkness mentioned there for the world the darkness shall cover the earth, is koshek in Hebrew. What it means is misery, destruction, death, and wickedness. Is that not a description of the world as we might see it today in many areas of the world? There is this kind of darkness prevalent. The second darkness mentioned, which covers the peoples, is actually a different word. It's not the same word. And it is arafal which means gloom or to drop down. It speaks of a heaviness, gloominess, lack of hope. And that is a description given here in the scripture of the world and the people in the world, but not his people, not us. The description of us is that the glory of the Lord is shining on us and that it shines through us so that others come to our light, kings and Gentiles. But it's fascinating that here, the Lord's light is not shining on the earth. Not like the scripture in Matthew which says he causes his son, the physical son, to rise on the just and the unjust. Here he is rising on us, his people, and then shining through us as a lighthouse, as salt and light to a dark world and those asleep in darkness. However, we too, as Christians, need to be in agreement with him shining on us. We need to be actively engaged with the Lord because I have to tell you today that it is possible for us to be asleep in the light ourselves. Even we, as children of God, can drift in our walk from him and not be where we should be. And that brings me to my first point, which is awake, O sleeper. You're welcome to turn to Ephesians 5 and just keep your finger there. We're gonna to get to a couple of scriptures in Ephesians 5 in a moment. Awake, O sleeper. Now, the Lord is certainly shining on his people. In fact, he never takes a break from looking out for us and looking after us. There's a beautiful scripture in Psalm 121 verse four, which says, 
He who watches over Israel does not slumber nor sleep. He never is asleep on the job. That literally when we sleep, he's still watching us. His gaze doesn't lift off of us for one second. He's ever ready to shine his light into our lives. There's a beautiful scripture that speaks about the light of the Lord in Psalm 36 verse nine. It says, for with you is the fountain of life. In your light, we see light. I love that terminology, fountain of life, because that is the description of the rivers of living water that spring up from our inmost being that we're given in the New Testament. And here's already a prophecy of the Lord. With you is the fountain of life. In your light, we have light. Now that light means illumination, it means revelation, it means insight. So in God's insight that he imparts to our lives, out of that we get wisdom and understanding and we shine that out of our lives. But now to get to a scripture that is, is one that is a, a, de a deep cry to the church. I truly believe this. Ephesians 5 verse 14, let's read together. Awake you who sleep, arise from the dead and Christ will give you light or illumination. It means the exact same illumination and, and revelation as Psalm 36 verse nine. This is a scripture written to Christians that might sound shocking to you. It's not a scripture for salvation. Go and read carefully, it's in Ephesians. It's in an epistle to a, a, a church. And in it, there is this call to those of his body who are asleep to awaken once again to the life of God, to a walk with God, and to holiness and righteousness. Because it is possible for us to drift in our walk with the Lord. Just to read two more scriptures out of Ephesians 5, keep, as I said, keep your finger there, 15 and 16. It says, see then that you walk circumspectly or carefully, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. That is directly after awake, O sleeper. So it's a message to the church to not be asleep in darkness with the world, but to be available to the Lord for him to shine on you so that he can shine through you. And to awaken to the fact that he's calling you out of your slumber if you are in slumber. Now there's a brilliant example in the Bible, in my opinion, of a man who fell into slumber and even sin and paid an immense consequence for his actions, but there was redemption at the end. I'm saying that now because you've got to stay with me as we, we delve into this a little bit. And that is a, the example of the life of Samson. Samson was physically strong by the Lord's anointing, accomplishing great feats, defeating the Philistines, and the Philistines hated him, and they wanted to destroy him. So Samson makes an immense mistake. He marries Delilah, a Philistine woman. And the Philistines come to Samson and say, find out the secret of his strength, because they wanted to defeat him and capture him. And she begins to pester him and nag him for this secret, because she's got money involved, which Samson doesn't know, but he pest she pesters him and pesters him. And in Judges 16, 19, we get an idea of just how much she was nagging and pestering him. It says, he was weary unto death, worn out, and couldn't stand it any longer. That's the Bible, all right? <laughs> Worn out to death. And so in that moment of weakness, because he shares three false leads with her, he tells her, time with new ropes or, or, or 
um, put my hair in a loom, or uh, use fresh bowstrings, and all of those don't work, but then he tells her his secret. And he says, if my hair is shaved off, that is the secret of my strength. Now, let me tell you, his strength wasn't in his physical hair. If it was, should some happen to fall out as hair naturally does, and someone, for some inexplicable reason, managed to get a piece of his hair in their, in their soup, they would all of a sudden be immensely strong and plowing their own fields while the oxen watched, you know? And, uh, but that never happened. Because the honest truth is that for Samson, his strength wasn't in his physical hair, his strength was in his obedience to not cut his hair. That was where his strength lay. It lay in obedience. His hair was just the symbol of his obedience. And when he was disobedient and he gave up the secret and his hair was cut, that's when he got caught. But his first mistake was to allow Delilah to wear him down. He could have left the house at any stage. He could have divorced her. He should have. She was a Philistine, for Pete's sake. You know, the, the people of Israel were not supposed to marry into these various tribes, only to stay within the children of Israel. But he stayed in that house under her con constant bombardment. That is a picture to us, family of God, of us allowing the influence of sin. Maybe we haven't given into it, but it's surrounding us and we're tolerating. We're tolerating the temptation. We haven't given into the temptation yet, but we're tolerating temptation. And we're tolerating the wearing down influence of sin. And this is where we as the family of God can begin to drift because we don't separate ourselves from that influence. Where does that influence lead? Let me tell you. Samson will tell you himself. Samson was lulled to sleep on his wife's lap after he had given her the secret. And in his slumber, his hair was cut off and the Lord left him and his strength fled. And when he woke up, he thought he'd go out as before, but his strength had departed. He was in trouble, big trouble. And the Philistines caught him. But his second mistake was to go to sleep on Delilah's lap. That is where we, as a child of God, give in to the sin that has now been presenting itself for some time. And we cross the line. And when we cross the line, there's a couple of things that happen. Desperately sad, but it is just as consequence of what actions follow. Going back to Samson in Judges 16 verse 21, Samson says, I will go out as before. Then the Philistines took him and put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza. They bound him with bronze fetters and he became a grinder in prison. So he'd go round and round in circles, grinding, blind, chained. And it is impossible for us as the children of God to actively engage in sin and it not to have a consequence for our, our lives. There are consequences for our actions. That is the reality of the spiritual realm. He who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. He who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap life. Now what happened to Samson, his eyes were put out. I'll tell you what happens to us is we lose our discernment. We lose our ability to see clearly between right and wrong when we begin to engage with sin because it affects us. It takes out your spiritual prophetic vision and sight, your discernment. The next thing that happens is he was put in fetters and chains. 
And Jesus himself said in John 8 verse 34, most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. It's a hard word, but the Lord is warning his people that there are consequences. The final thing that happened was that brought him to Gaza. Gaza means strong city or stronghold. And so through going to sleep on Delilah's lap, where he wound up was in a stronghold of sin, going round and round in circles. A desperately sad place to be, but that's not the end of the story. As I warned you before, there's a happy end. Maybe not for Samson, but there is for us, all right? Samson is now taken to perform like a circus act for the Philistines. And they place him in the temple of Dagon and he asks the boy who led him to, to place his hands upon the pillars and he calls upon the Lord, he repents. He cries out to God for one last return of his strength that he could take vengeance on the Philistines who had taken his eyes and in his death, he kills more Philistines than in his life. And here is the picture, here is the lesson for us. If you find yourself in trouble and you've given yourself over to some kind of act of sin, or you're even tolerating sin's influence, but you haven't given into it yet, call upon the Lord. Cry out to him, humble yourself. Get up out of that place. Choose to die to yourself and live for Christ. Become a living sacrifice. Dying to yourself daily. For in dying to yourself, you will live for Christ and the stronghold of sin will be defeated and you will shine for him again. Amen. Amen. So that is my first point that I wanted to share with you. And I, I really see my first point as, as a child of God being in reverse gear. And now the call is wake up. So now you, you go out of reverse and now you're in neutral. But my next point is it's not good enough to actually just be awake. You've got to be awake and awakened to passionate pursuit, which is my second point. You're gonna move from neutral, just going through the motions of life, survival mode. You're not committing sin. You're not even tolerating its influence anymore. But then again, you're not actually shining for the Lord. You're just going through the motions of your daily life and existence. Now's the time to move that gear stick into drive and to actually start passionately pursuing him. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. To never give up on seeking him day by day by day. Matthew 5 verse 6 says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. But it could have easily been translated, blessed are those who hunger and keep on hungering, and those who thirst and keep on thirsting for righteousness, for they shall be filled and continually filled. And that's a wonderful expression of the Lord being the fountain of life in our life as we continue to choose to seek him. It is a choice. It's not just gonna happen. One of the best examples in the Bible, I believe, of three men who had an incredible fire in their hearts is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those three Hebrews who were thrown into the fire because they wouldn't bow down to Nebuchadnezzar's statue and worship according to the music when it was played. And they said to him, O king, live forever. Our God can deliver us and he will deliver us. But even if he does not, no, we will not bow down to your, your, your statue and we will not worship according to that music. And in fury, he throws him in the fire. We know nothing happened. But there's a key there. The fire of passion in their hearts and lives 
was of a greater heat and intensity than the physical fire they faced. Even though it was seven times hotter in the natural, their passion was hotter than that fire. And even if that fire was going to consume their flesh, they didn't care because they were so consumed in their zeal and their passion for the living God. We are to have the same. That is my call to you today, to say, Lord, fill me with such a passion and a zeal that the fires of the circumstances surrounding me, which afflict my thoughts and steal my peace, will no longer have the ability to do that because I trust you. You've got a plan. I'm gonna walk with you. You're gonna get me out of here. I'm gonna burn for you. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the best examples of of someone on fire for the Lord is actually given in the parable of the 10 virgins, five wise, five foolish. All were virgins. It's a picture of the church. All of them had lamps, but only half of them had oil in their lamps. Every single child of God has the capacity and capability to have a deep, passionate love relationship with God. But only those who engage with the Lord and seek him and follow him will have their lamps filled with oil. Because the oil is our personal love relationship with God. These virgins couldn't share their oil. This is found in Matthew 25, if you wanna go read through the whole portion later. But the foolish virgins wanted the wise to share the oil with them. They said, no, we can't, Maybe we won't have enough. But the honest truth is they actually couldn't. Because the oil that you have in your lamp is paid for by yourself between you and the Lord. No one else can give you your oil. Only you can get your oil. And not only are you to have oil, it is meant to overflow. That is when we shine to others. That is a a picture of a healthy Christian walk, is that you shine, as God shines on you, you shine out of an overflow, that your cup is always full because you are always in pursuit of your holy God. Now, in Psalm 23, verse five, it's written, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. I love that as a picture of an overflowing cup. He anoints us with oil. He shines on us. My cup overflows. And David knew better than anyone that engaging with the Lord was where your true strength lay. In fact, Jesus says to the foolish virgins, In verse 13 of Matthew 25, when they come and they want entrance to the wedding feast, he says, I do not know you. I do not know you. There's a difference between believing in God and walking with him. That is where you find your lamp begin to fall. There's another dimension. I'm just gonna touch on this briefly because I'm really keen to get to my third point, but we are also to love our neighbors as ourselves. To have a passionate pursuit is to pursue the Lord, but it is also to pursue the things of his heart and the lost are on his heart. It doesn't mean we all go out to be street evangelists. Just be available to the Holy Spirit to use you when he says. It might be a lady in a queue at, 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 a, at a shop. It might be a waitress at a restaurant. You just leave a scripture when you leave your tip. It could be something as small as that, a mustard seed. Don't underestimate your mustard seed in God's hands. Just be willing to sow it. Just be willing to give it. Jesus at one point prays for a blind man in Mark 8, verse 23 to 25. It's the only description in the Bible where a man is prayed for twice for a result to come about. 
that I know of. If I'm wrong, you're welcome to, to, to correct me. But he prays for this blind man the first time, and this man responds when he's asked, what do you see? He says, I see men like trees walking. And then Jesus prays for him again, and then he says, I see, and he was restored and saw everyone clearly. Now sometimes we, as God's people, see those out there, outside of the church, strangers as trees, as impersonal as trees. They're just it's to us. And yet God's heart is there. He wants us to see the lost with the same vision he sees the lost. But we see very often people out there as an inconvenience to our lives or be through our own fears we don't wanna share something or the gospel with them. We're just gonna stay in our own closed little existence. And my call to you is passionately pursue the Lord but also ask for his vision and his sight and his heart for the things of his heart which so very much includes the lost. Amen. All right. My final point that I wanna share with you, it is a longer point, is shine into darkness. Now last week, something that John shared which was incredibly significant was repairing, restoring the broken cities. And you're gonna see similarities in this point, but I've actually got different scriptures. It really is a confirmation that the Lord is speaking to us about these things. But when we are to shine into darkness, it mustn't just be raw passion. Let there be the leading of the Holy Spirit and being grounded in the word. Otherwise, we've got a zeal without wisdom, but the other way, we can also lose sight of the life of God in the midst of how he wants to lead us in shining. It's not just about zeal, it's not just about the word, it's about the Holy Spirit and the word in your life. And I need to challenge you with this, is where are you investing your time? Because we've been speaking about having your lamps full of oil, shining for the Lord, now shine into darkness. That is only gonna happen, as I said previously, of a love relationship with God that is flourishing. But I need to add there, that in order for us to truly be effective, to shine, there has to be that ongoing, living, loving relationship with God. And where we invest our time is an incredible indicator of what is most important to us. If we are in the process of investing hours in entertainment, three hours binging Netflix, and 10 minutes praying before we go to sleep, that is not the kind of fulfilling life that we are called to lead. It's not to say that we can't enjoy things, but we don't want to be influenced by them, and where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And let your treasure be in the Lord and in passion for Him, and everything else will find its place, because you prioritized what's most important, and then you're gonna have the kind of balance that He wants you to have, as well as the fruitfulness coming out of your life that you should be bearing. Now, us shining for the Lord must not be based on circumstances. Should not be based on circumstances. We're part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. We should not be shaking with the rest of the world at this time. Even the rest of South Africa. Because the cornerstone of our lives is Christ and Him crucified. So if we are being shaken, why are we being shaken? Do not listen and agree with the narrative of the world, be the narrative. Be the word to people, be life. But when people who know you're a Christian see you and you're shaking just as much as them, saying the same things as them, being asleep in the light, 
What testimony is that to the God that you serve? I want to call on you today to cast off the world and its influences and the things that are holding you back from shining for him. That you would no longer be shaken or moved, that the only wind moving your life would be the wind of the spirit, not the wind of adversity, not the wind of fear, not the wind of intimidation, not the wind of greed or selfishness, but the wind of the spirit. That the Lord would have his will and way through you, that you could be a continuous testimony. In the first century, the apostles were turning the world upside down. It was an incredibly oppressive society they lived in. Rome was no joke. There was 70% taxation and incredibly harsh military rule. But there's no scripture in the New Testament that goes like this. This is my own creation. But there's no scripture that says, beware of the Roman domination of the world. Where there is extra oppression, you need not shine. There's nothing like that in the Bible. In fact, the more dark, the greater the church began to shine. In the midst of the most incredible persecutions. Listen as I read this portion to you. Paul and the other apostles were only moved by the Spirit in their lives. They preached, with the Sanhedrin, they preached when the Sanhedrin told them to be quiet. They worshiped when they were whipped. And Paul went to Jerusalem with the certainty of chains in front of him. But churches were born, the kingdom advanced, lives were saved and set free. And the world of that time, oppressive as it was, was turned upside down for Jesus, his cross, and his kingdom. It's not a denial that you are facing troubles and trials. I know there are many, even sitting under the power of my voice, you're in a desperate situation. You need the love and support of the body of Christ at this time. I understand that. But I am speaking to the majority that there is more in the Lord and I'm calling you to pursue it. That you can be true salt and light before him. Two scriptures I wanna share with you. The first is 2 Chronicles 7, 14. Very well-known scripture, but it does bear mentioning here. If my people are called by my name, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. So much in line with restoring broken cities. Who does the call go out to? God's people, not the world. There's no toppling of governments here. It is the Lord's own people humbling themselves and praying, getting off Delilah's lap, waking up from slumber, and then taking that step to walk with him in holiness. And then there is the healing of the land. The healing of our land is in the hands of the church. It's here. This is God's word. He said it. We'd look at the government and say, oh, but you know, we must do this, we must do that. When Daniel discerned that the time for the exiles to return to the promised land had come, he, this righteous man before God, humbled himself and prayed and put on sackcloth and ashes and repented of the sins of the nation of Israel. And he was integral to part of their return through his intercession. Words of territory, family of God. We need to be careful with them. We need to lift our voices in repentance, but we must also not agree with the world and the words of the world. You might have conversations at work, you might be in the shops, you might even be with family, and it's negative, and it's down, and it's, it's, it's words that are 
are, are contrary to God and his ways. Stop taking part in those conversations. Because when we pray, we take territory, but when we speak negative words, we give up territory. Words are territory. The power of life and death is in the tongue. We are not to be shaken with the world. We are not to be in agreement with the narrative. We must be the narrative. But let the words that proceed out of your mouth be good and pure. Ephesians 4.29 says, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. If the Lord is shining on us and through us and those that he's not shining on are in darkness, how are they gonna see the light if we are speaking words of darkness? We've got to speak words of life and light that it may impart grace to the hearers, that the Gentiles and the kings can come to us and get saved and get into the kingdom and become part of the solution and not the problem. And this is the way that we go about it. One more scripture I wanna share with you. I would ask you to turn there, but I think we're a bit pressed for time, but bear with me, please. Jeremiah 29, five to seven says, build houses and dwell in them, plant gardens and eat their fruit. Take wives and beget sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands so that they may bear sons and daughters, that you may be increased there and not diminished and seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive and pray to the Lord for it, for in its peace you will have peace. What an incredible encouragement from the Lord. He's saying stop worrying about Australia and New Zealand and England and Canada. If he moves you there, go with God's blessing. But if he has planted you here, you are meant to shine here. You are meant to be a testimony here today, off Delilah's lap, pure, holy, shining for him, passionately pursuing him. Amen. Give the Lord a hand. Give the Lord a hand. Even in the scripture, it was said to them, plant vineyards and fields. And my call to you today is plant fields of prayer and trust and holiness and grow in the fruit of the Spirit as your vineyards and pray to the Lord with a pure mouth and a pure tongue for this city and for this country and humble yourself and we'll see what our living God who created heaven and earth can do in our midst. He will not disappoint us. Amen. Thank you. I've got one more quick testimony that I just wanna share with you just as an encouragement because all of this is, 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 is being shared with you, but I wanna give you something, boots on the ground that you can take as an example to your own life. I've got a member in my congregation, just a normal member, beautiful family. He works for a car service dealership in, in Johannesburg and um, he just wanted to get out of there a while ago business not doing well, he was getting intimidation from the staff underneath him, and he was praying, Lord, release me. Just release me, get me out of here, please, it's enough. And he went to his brother's church where his brother was being anointed as an elder over that church, and the lady came up to him and said, the Lord says to you, take up your staff and lead your people. And he went away convicted and waited on the Lord, and the word that he got was start a prayer meeting at work. And initially he was like, but Lord, there's Muslims there, there's Hindus, there's certainly unbelievers, and the Lord was firm. And in obedience, he went to work as a manager. He said, I'm gonna start a prayer in Jesus' name every day 
We're gonna pray for this business. We're gonna trust for it to turn around and God's blessing to be here. You don't have to be part of this prayer meeting, but if you do choose to join this prayer meeting, then we're gonna pray in Jesus' name. And not one single person said they wouldn't pray because that business was in trouble. Slow, things were not happening. And as soon as they began to pray, they started meeting daily targets. Now the entire atmosphere of that business has turned. And they are excited to pray every day. It's an incredible testimony. Amen. You know, that is, that is me and you. That is you and you and you. That is your sphere of influence. Go and shine. I've got one scripture I wanna close with. And then I'd like to pray. It is Daniel 12, verse three. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Amen. Amen.